You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. Hello and welcome to Line Noise. Today we bring you an interview with Flinty Badman, who is half of the iconic rave duo Ragga Twins, a band who essentially invented Ragga Jungle uh, alongside their friends in Shut Up and Dance. Uh, they are a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant band, uh, and this interview was uh, fascinating for me, it really was. Um, so I spoke to him about London sound systems, about rave, about political commentary that they have in their music, uh, about reggae owing the money, about Skrillex, James Blake, uh, and why uh, the phrase is not Ragga Twins step out to buy, uh, despite what uh, certain compilation records would have you believe. Um, Demand Rocker, who is the other half of the duo, couldn't be in on the interview. Uh, he had a few health problems, but I'm hoping to speak to him soon, in which case we'll bring you uh, part two. Um, but until then, enjoy. Uh, but if you don't mind, I'd like to go right back to, to the start of how, how you started out in music. Because you started out in sound systems, right? Yeah, we started out in sound systems. Um, basically, you know, um, growing up getting, um, used to get cassettes from Jamaica with, with sound systems on it, you know what I mean? And then you'd have, you'd have the sound system and you'd have the, the they're called DJs, but the MCs now, yeah? But they're called DJs in Jamaica, like the hold the mic, you know what I mean? Um, it's kind of weird saying it now, but back in the day, yeah, we were the DJs. So, yeah, we listened to them old DJs like, you know, Yellow Man, Papa Tyon, Ringo, Uroy, Iroy before that, Dillinger, and them guys, they were Dillinger and Iroy and Big Youth, they, got, they were toasters. So they kind of just accompanied the music. It wasn't really a lyrical thing. And then, you know, Yellow Man, Toyan, General Trees, all these guys, um, they started bringing the lyrical content to it. And, you know, we just was listening to that as a youth and just, we just wanted to be that. We just wanted to do that. So we, um, uh, D-Man, my brother, he, when he started to, was able to go out, he started going out and just started picking up the mic and chatting a few parties that he went to and that. And, um, I built my own sound system with a few of my mates from school. The sound system was called the Cruise. And um, I, we kept, my uncle lived around the corner from my school. So we kept the um, sound system in his basement. So at, at lunch break, we'll go down there and practice. And then after school, we pop there for an hour and practice. And then at weekends, we'd have like a blues, we call it a Shabin's blues party. But it was for the younger kids, for the youngers like our age and that school age. And we'll do that on a Friday and Saturday night down there. So that was like a residency for my sound. My sound was only a little sound, you know. We had amplifiers and that, and like two set of speakers. And but you know, I mean, that's how that's how I started doing this thing on MCing. And at the time, what did you make of rave music before you were making it? Well, at at the time, at that time, that because that would have been like nineteen eighty one, eighty two. When, I done, when we were doing that. So rave music wasn't really, it wasn't even about for us. We didn't know nothing about rave music. So the, like in the late 80s, we started hearing about rave music and acid and all that. And, you know, um, when we heard it, you know, we was deep into reggae music and 
You know what I mean? It was just kind of a weird sound to us. It was a, something that we, we, we gravitated to straight away. Yeah. It was just like, what, what, what music is this? That's, that's weird. You know, like when you hear something new that you haven't heard before, it's, it's kind of weird to you, isn't it? So we was deep into reggae sound system and all that. And so no other music, even, even soul and that, it took us like four or five years to, to recognize soul music and, and, and that, um, because soul music was being played in the 80s, but we're so deep into reggae music that, you know, even good soul music was bypassing us. It's only when you get older and you start hearing these music and you think, boy, that was that was playing in the era of my sound system days and I didn't even know it and now I love it, you know? So that's how deep we was into reggae. So no other music really got a chance. You know what I mean? So when, like, Shut Up and Dance came along and suggested you did some rave music. What did you think? Um, well, at the time, um, we had decided to leave the sound system because um, we wasn't getting to go into the studio and record music. We, we, on a regular basis, we had one and two songs, but not on a regular basis to build up ourselves as an artist. So everybody just knew us as a sound system DJ, you know? Mm-hmm. That, that we'll play in the sound in, in the rain, in the sound system parties that we can and tear them up, but we ain't putting out no music like you know what I mean. We're getting older now, nearly into our twenties, and we're not putting out enough music. So we decided in in 19, the end of nineteen eighty nine that we're going to leave the sound system. We didn't have no career path that we was going to pursue, but um, when Sharp and Dance Smiley. Um, he made a song called Lamborghini, which sampled D-Man off, mm. off of one of our sound tapes, one of our Unity sound tapes. And he wanted to get clearance on the sample. So he found out D-Man was working in an electrical store because his brother used to go in there and buy stuff and he told him D-Man's working in that store. So he went and saw D-Man and said, you know, he wants to put out this rave tune and he sampled him and could he do it? D-Man's like, yeah, do it. And and D-Man was like, well, you know what? We've left the sound system. Um, is there anything you can do for us? You know what I mean? And because they knew us, because they actually had a had a youth sound system as well that we invited to my uncle's house to play. Yeah. So we, we'd already knew, know him. So um, he said, yeah, come down, come and have a meeting with them and, um, and, and we'll see what we can do. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I think I think they was thinking at the time to even bring in reggae into the rave because no one was no one wasn't doing it, no one wasn't sampling reggae music and bringing it into rave. So they was actually thinking about it, and by sampling D Man off of a reggae Unity cassette, they actually you know they was in they was already thinking about doing this thing. And so when we went down there and spoke to them. Um, yeah, it just blossomed from there because we knew them. That's the thing. Um, as I said, we knew Smiley from the youth sound and PJ, he went to school with us. Yeah. Um, primary primary school. So we knew him from primary school. So, um, you know, they told us, they said to us, it's not going to be like noisy stuff like what you've heard. It's going to be a bit of noise in it, but it's not going to be noisy stuff like what you've heard, what you might have heard while you're, while you're at the reggae sound system days, you know what I mean? It's gonna, we're gonna make it into a thing where it, 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 it's rave music, it's, it's speeded up, but it still sounds like reggae, you know? Yeah. 
and uh, and that's what they've done. And when they when they played the tunes that they wanted us to to work on, we kind of was like they were nice, you know. I, see, I think this is fascinating because if you look at you know the whole history of jungle music, drum and bass, reggae is such a massive influence on it. Um, yeah, and I think it's incredible that no, you know, no one had done it before. Why do you think that combination worked so well? Well, um, the combination worked so well because um, Smiley and PJ they used to come to our our dances mm. um, when we was on Unity Sound, and and they was wondering how come these guys ain't got big songs records out, you know, mm. big reggae tunes. Because uh, D-Man had a couple of reggae tunes that, that there was a um, paper, um, uh, uh, magazine called the Black Echoes mm. back in them days. And they used to do a charts in there. Like when people put out their song, they used to do a charts. And D-Man had a couple top tens, even a number one in the Black Echoes. So they already knew what capability we had. Mm-hmm. But we wasn't getting that opportunity with the sound. So when they already knew... Um, when we asked them what they can do for us, they already started processing what they can do for us and how we can do it. So when we got to them, they was like, we don't want you to come in the studio. You know, when you go in the studio, you're kind of you're, you're, you're mellowed back when you're making music. You're not, you know, you're not yeah. giving it like how you're giving it live on the sound system. They said, we want you to do it how you do it on the sound system. So that was kind of new to us because when we, the few tunes that we've done in reggae, you know, you kind of you kind of laid back and just making a song. You're not kind of going hard on the on the on the tune, and they they wanted us to do that. And and plus, as I said before, we we knew each other, so working with them it wasn't hard. If they you know we can we, we we had no problems. You know there was no barriers in what we say to each other because yeah. we, we know each other for a long time, so we can have our say, they can have their say, and we can put everything together. And um, yeah, that's how it works. So, you know, they wanted us to show our, our vocal skills on a kind of hip hop reggae. So you'd get like illegal gunshot, ragga trip, them type of songs where we'd, we'd spit. And then you get the, the dance floor songs like the, the split feds and the hooligan 69 where we'll just say ragga twins about yeah. basically or, or the other bits where it's, it's not fully vocal. So. They had that 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 already planned, and that and I think that's what, how it why it works so well. Well, I was looking at the charts the other day, and um, your very first single um, with the illegal gunshot spliffhead got to number fifty, which is pretty impressive for like a sort of underground twelve inch. Why do you think it connected so much? Um, I think because it was it was a new a new sound to the people. Um, and I think because they all, they already had a, had a few um, near hits before with with the songs they were doing on their label, so I think their label was really being looked at as 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 an emerging label, Sharp and Dance, and um, then when they added us to the spice, uh, I think. Um, it was just a new sound, it was just something new that the people gravitated to, and and that, uh, and you know, it was done so well. It was raw, you know what I mean? And yeah, I think you know, it's just just one of them things. It was just like a 
was like a game changer, I suppose. And do you remember the first time you heard your music in a rave? Well, you see, this is what it is now. Um, so we've done the tunes and we were still going to reggae dances, <laughs> me and my brother. And um, these tunes were out and we'd be seeing our friends at the weekend and they'll be like, yo, you man's, you man's tunes are mashing up the dance. And we're like, what dog? Because we didn't even know where to go. <laughs> we had no idea what parties were going on. So we're saying to them, what dance? And they're like, yeah, we've gone down to uh, uh, a desire or we want to energy or we've gone to this place. And I'm like, well, what are these places? I don't know these places. I know I'm doing this music with Sharp and Dance, but I don't know these places where the songs are being played. They're saying, yeah, man, you should come down. If you guys ever come down there and pick up the mic, the place going to go mad and all that. You, every, every DJ play your songs. Every DJ, one after the other, Next DJ's on, our song is playing. Next DJ comes on, he's dropped it again. So it's been played all night. So the first um, PA we we done was in Birmingham uh, at a place called The Dome. And um, we've done the PA and we've left the dance. The second show we've done, I can't remember where it was, we've done the PA and we've left the dance. We didn't, we didn't stick around. Until we were, we went to uh, Plymouth one night, and um, yeah, we done the PA, and obviously this one was was we, we had a hotel for this one because it was far. We didn't. It's the first time we we're gonna get a hotel and that. So we're, we're like, well, we're down here. We might as well just stick around in the party and see what's going on. And um, so we're at the back, just popping or just standing around, not really knowing what's going on. People coming up to us, giving us. Props, we we like, you know what I mean. This is this is like this is amazing, you know what I mean. It is it's a it's a, a bunch of white kids and that, and they're coming up to us saying, "Oh, we love you guys and all that." We've never had that before, you know what I mean. So we're in there anyway, and um, the DJ's playing, and we've looked up, and it's a uh, Jumping Jack Frost. You know, Jumping Jack Frost. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's Jumping Jack Frost, and we're like. What's he doing up there? Because we know him from back in the reggae days as well. Like, what's what's he doing up there playing music? You know what I mean? And um, then he must he played one of our songs, he played one of our songs, and the and the people went mad. They started looking at us and and going, "Yeah, that's your song, that's your song," and all that type of stuff. So that was like kind of like the first time we heard a DJ play our song, apart from us doing the PA. Then uh, we it, it came to like um, the summertime, and they started having these big festival type parties and we headlined a show with uh, Prodigy in Essex and it was a nice hot day about 24, 25 degrees. So that's when we stayed at that party and that's when that's when it got us. That's when the music got us. After we stayed at that one, that particular one, we never looked back since. We just started raving and doing everything. So and then, yeah, we'd hear DJs play our tunes in the party and they're going off and that. And that's when we really got into, that's when I say we got into the scene itself, you know what I mean? And it yeah. wasn't just the music doing our PAs and going home or going back to a reggae dance. We actually got into the scene and then starting, started to recognise other artists and, you know, and started mingling and making connections and all that type of stuff. What did you make of a band like The Prodigy? Did you like them? Um... I didn't really know them 
like that. But um, yeah, that show that we done, uh, they I think that at that time they had songs like is it uh, uh, what's that? It's not your name up there. You're not coming in. Charlie, it? Charlie, with the cat. Charlie says Charlie. Yeah, that time they had Charlie. So I know I did, I like that tune. So you know I I, I obviously like what they was doing, but I didn't really we didn't really know the guys. You know what I mean? Until yeah. later on, later on in 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 the nineties where we got to meet each other properly and talk and you know exchange. Back in the day, well, it wasn't really back in the day, but the earlier stuff that we'd done. One of the things I love about your music is that it's the lyrics are really political. I mean, you talk about like Thatcher, you talk about heroin, you talk about you know drug dealers. Was that a conscious decision to like have you know political lyrics, or was that just what what you did? Um, well, we we did have all type of lyrics, but. Yeah, we wanted to bring a message when we came over to Sharp and Dance. So um, a lot of them lyrics there, we used to um, chat them in on the sound system. Mm. And they were the ones that was picking up the dances and that, you know what I mean? The reality. People like a reality song, you know what I mean? And so we thought we'd bring it there. Uh, the sound system guy never used it on record, so we, we'd bring it there. We wanted to bring a message. And, and that was the reason, you know? We we we've never done drugs, we've never done A class drugs or anything like that. So we wanted to bring that message over, you know. And um, you know, the, the the way the country's run and all that type of stuff. We wanted to, you know, just bring that message over to the people because it's a different crowd as well, isn't it? So yeah, well, that 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 I think is really interesting, like because you know, in rave music, there's not a lot of lyrics like that um do you think people kind of realize what you were talking about at the time i think um i go for maybe a 50 50 because remember um a lot of people were taking acid tablets at their times <laughs> and that and so they're just they're just happy and just listening to music then you've got the other people the conscious people that are uh, taking in the vibe and and the message so I'd say it was 50-50 because um, we did get a lot, of, a lot of people saying they love them lyrics, you know what I mean? And yeah. So, mm. I, I wonder like, what you think, because I, I said, I mentioned this, I think, in the article that, that I wrote, which is like when, you know, particularly British people, I think when we look back on, on rave, it tends to be like all, you know, very euphoric view of it, you know, how it was this incredible free time and that kind of thing, which... I mean, I wasn't there, but like, um, you know, in a way, I assume it was. But at the same time, do you think we have like too euphoric a view on it? Like we do forget about the problems and drug addiction and things like that. Well, you see that, yeah, we do. And you see, with, with rave music, a lot of people used it as getting away from that. Mm. That a lot of people, you know, it was their it was their getaway. You know, they can go out at the weekend and not worry about any problems that they have. They can party their life away, and then, you know, next week they're back to the problems again. But um, yeah, it can be viewed like that, definitely. Yeah. So um, your first album, Reggae Owes Me Money, came out in 1991. Yeah. Tell us about yeah. the name. It's quite a 
Because that's quite provocative, the name. Um, well, it was, um, we was looking for a name for the album and, um, you know, uh, I'd say we'd, we'd, we'd done reggae for, just, we'll say a good 10 years. You know, the early part, the first two, say eight, 1980 to 1990. So first couple of years, you're just building up yourself, you're making a name for yourself. And that, and then, you know, you get onto a big sound system and you're, you're working sometimes nearly some weeks, seven days a week because, you know, they play midweek or whatever. So, and, you know, you're just working on this sound system and it's not like how it is now when you get an hour set and then that's your hour and you're gone. And you're there with the sound system all night, even if you, even if, even in the early parts when you just joined the sound system, you're there all night, but sometimes you're not even getting a chance to chat on the microphone, you know? So it's all, it's all a learning curve and then you build up and then you get yourself to a position where you think, yeah, you're doing well and everything. And, you know, you, you've got a name for yourself, uh, north, south, east and east and west, up, up, up in country, wherever everybody knows you. But then, you're not making no money. <laughs> Everywhere you go, the, the dances are packed, but the um, but the promoter saying, oh, I never made much money today. You know what I mean? Or, you know, I can't afford to pay you. I'll see you next week or whatever. You know what I mean? And there was a lot of that. And even with the sound system, the sound system, it wasn't paying us. As far as we concerned, for what we was doing, we wasn't getting the right pay for it. So we just put everything under the banner of reggae and just said it owes us money, which didn't mean anyone in particular, but it just kind of meant we've done so much for we've done so much for reggae music in 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 that time, and we never really got the um, rewards. Obviously, like a lot of um, rave music, dance music is based around twelve inches. Um, were you always thinking of doing an album? Was that something you wanted to do like right from the start? Yeah, we wanted to do an album. Um, in the reggae days, it would have been a separate album, obviously. It would have been a Demon Rocker album or Fleety Badman album. Yeah, we definitely wanted to do do that. When, we, when it got to about 1987, when we was really top of our game, um, winning best sound system and all that, and, you know, sound systems coming from Jamaica and we're giving them a run for their money, you know what I mean? And and that really, you know what I mean? We wanted to do, we wanted to do an album. Yeah. Um, we had, we had King Jammies used to supply um, all the music for our sound system. Yeah. And he used, he used to say to the guy that runs the sound, you know, get them, get your DJs to, to, to voice on, on his rhythms. We're talking about King Jammies in Jamaica. Yeah. You get on a King you get on a King Jammies rhythm, you just need one. <laughs> and he wasn't doing it. He, I don't know what the problem was. He wasn't doing it. So, you know, that's the sort of position we was in. But yeah, we always wanted to make an album. And when Chuck and Dance said they want to do an album with us, we're gonna because when we when we had them first meeting with them, they said, Yeah, we're gonna do two two EPs, two first EPs, and then we'll do an album. Mm-hmm. And that's what we, that's what we wanted to hear. We was very delighted to hearing that. So, when did you realise that your music had been so influential? 
the shop and dance stuff, yeah? Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, we noticed it when, when the album came out, I'd say. Mm-hmm. I know the singles were done very well and they was, you know, just outside the top 40 and that. But when the album came out, it got to number 26, I think, yeah. in the national, 26. And that's when we realised that this music, what we've done is really special because I can't remember off my head, but we was above some really top A, top A plus artists that put our albums, our album from an independent label of Sharp and Dance was above them, you know, and yeah, yeah that's when we knew that um, we've done something really influential. So for me, like when when that album came out, I must have been fourteen, and at that yeah. age, anyone who's in the charts is a pop star to me. Did you feel Did you feel that way? Uh, I I didn't feel like a pop star, really. To be fair, um, I just felt like you know what Smiley always called it. A ghetto superstar. Mm. I felt like I felt like that. I was, you know, people in in although people knew us from outside the area, but I was very well known where I come from. Yeah. So that's how I felt like that. I didn't think I was above anybody else or anything like that. We didn't think like that. We just thought we're doing really well and we're we're like we're like some ghetto superstars, you know. In 1992, Shatima Dance released Raving I'm Raving, uh, which famously sampled Mark Cohn's Walking in Memphis. I'm sure you know the song. Uh, it reached number two on the UK singles chart, um, but Shut Up and Dance were unable to clear the sample, uh, and so they had to delete the track and give all the proceeds to charity. Uh, this created all kinds of problems uh, for Shut Up and Dance, as a band and the Shut Up and Dance label that the Ragga Twins uh, were signed to. And that meant that uh, the Ragga Twins' second album never came out. I asked Flinty about that. Sorry, right, this is a stupid question. I should know this, but what, your second album that never came out then, or? No, it never came out, no. Is it ever going to come out? No, it's never going to come out. And, um... I remember I had two cassettes of it, and um, when I moved house, I don't know where I put them, and I no. can't find them for the love of me. And um, every time I up shop and dance, they're like, "Ah, oh, man, I've got to dig through all the dig down." Obviously, it was made on um, Akai two thousand or whatever, so they're gonna need floppy disks to get it all on and all that. They said, so it's basically just gone, basically. But hopefully. One day when I, um, if I move again, I might, I might find them. But yeah, it's, it's one of them hold your head moments, man. Do you know what? Um, in a funny way, in a funny way, you've made me feel better because I, I, I've lost a whole load of things moving house. And I was just thinking about them the other day. I was just thinking, oh, where's that? Where's that tape? Where's that record? Where's that thing? And yeah. I don't know. Nothing. <laughs> that sounds absolutely horrendous. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, it is, it is, it is, um, yeah, it is sad, dude. I should have, like, kind of kept that safe, man. I should have kept them tapes safe, man. I mean, 
I know, I know, I ain't threw it away. That's the thing. I know I ain't threw it away, but I've got a lot of things in the cupboards. You know, when when I moved, I've just stacked a lot of stuff in a cupboard, and I ain't been able to dig into into this. I ain't copy in there. It's just I've just haven't had time. Oh, you need to you need to go and have a look, definitely. I do, I do, I really do. So after that, you signed to Positiva, which was like a really big label in 1995. Um, mm-hmm. Why did you, why did you go with them? So um, uh, uh, our, our manager was uh, getting a few producers together uh, just to do some stuff that we can find a demo and shop to, um, to labels because our then was still big and he was saying, you know, you guys can still get a major, major record deal, you know? Yeah. So um, he knew these guys, us three, and they had just uh, kind of they put out an album and they've kind of conquered America with it. Mm. And um, and they was they, they kind of heard of us and they was like, yeah, we're, we're willing to do some work with you. So we've done some work with them and, and, and a couple other producers. And um, it was just like when he was shopping the stuff, um, it's the stuff that was that we done with us three. That was the stuff that was getting more recognised than than the other stuff. It was like it was jazz. It was it was again different from what we've done before. But, um, the only problem that it was with Positiva, Positiva hadn't done any stuff like that before, so it was kind of hard for them to to work it. They signed it thought they could do a lot with it but in the end they didn't but um it was good working with us three there was there was good guys and um and you know at the end of the day it was uh it's we're, we're artists that work on multiple genres yeah and to have to have a jazz album i mean we're over the moon with that you know i would have never thought that we'd have a jazz album you know yeah which which a lot of jazz artists liked, and we done a um, we done a show in Norway where we supported James Brown. Wow! Yeah, we supported James Brown, and and he heard a bit of the show, and he came back in our dressing room and said, "Oh, you guys, you guys are smashing it, man!" You know, so you know, them kind of props they keep you going, and from the great James Brown, well, what could you say? I mean, doesn't get much better than that. Yeah, so you know, it wasn't um, it wasn't something that we said, yeah, let's do a jazz album. It just fell into place, and you know, we worked with it, man, and because because we just like we like doing music, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So in the two thousands, you started working with Aqua Sky, who you've worked with a lot. Um, yes. How did that come about? So um, yeah, Aqua Sky, they. They was putting out, a, I think, a compilation album with with different artists, and they asked us to do a track mm-hmm. for them. Or, or, or it might have been their album, and they asked us to do two feature tracks on their album. And um, we done the two feature tracks, and they done well. They done really well, and yeah, we just started working with them on a regular basis. You know, um, every time they had a project going, they'd call us to do something. So. We got really good friends with them, and and the breakbeat scene is kind of replicates the early rave scene, 80, 88, 89, 90. 
and we really fitted in well with that. And it's the same, the, 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 the people that was in the scene, the promoters and whatever, or, or the, the, the record labels, they all knew Ragga Twins from, from back in the day doing, doing that uh, hardcore stuff, which sounds like breaks anyway, you know? Mm. And so it, it, it all come together well. And, you know, they were lovely guys. And every time we worked with them, it was good. So we ended up doing like nearly a 10-year stint with Akos Sky making loads of songs and featured on, they started bringing in other artists that they were signing up to their labels and we done work with them as well, you know? So yeah, that was a good time. It was a good time. Although at the same time, um, drum and bass was was picking back up at the same time, but um, yeah, we was just doing the breaks and it, it got us, it, it done us well. I'm wondering like when you hear drum and bass, and jungle do you do you hear a lot of your your influence oh yeah definitely 100 percent. yeah 100 percent. hear that um that sharp and dance influence that that we brought in the early days i mean even even the whole scene i'd say is we've got a big influence on it because when we um when we done that uh normski show um dance energy Dance Energy, yeah. When we done Dance Energy, we done the track Spliffhead, which just says Ragga Twins about. But then we also chatted, chatted lyrics over it. Uh, if you fast forward a couple of years after that, and then going into drum and bass, that's exactly what they're, they're doing now in drum and bass. <laughs> chatting lyrics over over fast hardcore beats. Yeah. Where when we done that back in the day, we didn't know what, we was, what, what, what it would have entailed, but it's basically that, you know what I mean? And so that's the influence on all the um, uh, the reggae catchphrases, um, the weed ups and all them stuff there. Um, ourself and Navigator, I would say. And then, you know, Tenafly, Top Cat and General Levy, all them guys. We brought that over to the rave scene from the reggae days, because that's what, that's what we used to do in the reggae days. And in 2008, Soul Jazz compiles uh, your old singles um, yes. on Ragga Twin Step Out. How did that? How did that feel? Like you know, 17, 17 years later. You know, you know that was that was really good. Uh, could you hold the line one second? I don't know why I've got yeah. I, I can't. I can't. It's all right. I'll call him back. Can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah. All good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I um. Yeah, where was we? Soul Jazz Records, yeah. So I used to get their, their CDs on Studio One. I used yeah. to get their, they, they was putting out Studio One albums. And I used to get all their Studio One albums. And then next thing I heard, they want to do a, the album with us. I was over the moon with that. Like, I'm like, wow, Soul Jazz Records wants to do a compilation with us. And they want to call it Ragga Twin Step Out. I'm actually looking at the, um, I'm actually looking at the thing there now. It is. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, um, so and they call it calling it Ragga Twin Step Out, and the reason why we didn't mind them calling it Ragga Twin Step Out because that's what the people thought we were saying. Yeah. They a, a, a lot of people thought we were saying Ragga Twin Step Out. Even up to today, people still think it's Ragga Twin Step Out, and even more because we let um, Soul Jazz Records put it out like that as well. So. Oh, they know it's Ragga Twins, they're about, but 
because that album came out, it was like, nah, you lot are telling you lot are not telling the truth. It's you lot are saying Ragga Twin step out. Soul Jazz Records put it out. You wouldn't make them do that. And we're just like, uh, we've done it for you guys. <laughs> you guys keep saying it, so we gave you it. <laughs> but yeah, it was a it, it was a pleasure to have that. That's like that was amazing, especially after Nine Day was doing all this Studio One stuff that I used to collect, you know. And in 2014, you worked with Skrillex. How did that happen? Um, that happened. We had a um, we done a sample pack, mm. and Skrillex picked on picked up the sample pack, and um, he he sampled us, but he wanted to to do it properly. Mm-hmm. So he done the sample, he done the tune, but he was like, "No, I've got to get these guys in the studio to redo it." So he he came to UK in 2014, and he was booked for uh, Glastonbury with um, he was booked for Glastonbury with David Rodigan. Yeah, and um, and so I came over and he, he hired out a studio down in Shoreditch, and uh, yeah, we went down there, spent a good six hours in there. He at first he just vibes in, he's DJing, he's doing all this and having a little smoke and then he's listening because we was doing our album at the time which is going to be coming out next year mm-hmm. and he listened to a few of us our album that we'd, we'd started and you know and then we done then we put, he sent us in the booth started doing some things taught us he taught us something else he got this we've never been in a booth where 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 once ended the booth it was a big booth and he's got this bucket and he's put a microphone in the bucket and we're wondering, what's this guy doing? <laughs> and yeah, he just says, "There's, there's a when you when you chat, is the, the microphone's picking it, but in that bucket is so condensed. In the bucket, it's giving it a different sound, your voice, and that. And I've never seen anybody do that before. And you know, it was lovely working with him, and it was lovely that he um, he could have just used the sample pack and said, "Yeah, I'm putting out my song." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and gone really free, he, 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 you know, and um, yeah, that was good working with him, and you know, he ended up doing remixing a song for us, and um, and we actually ended up getting three songs on that album. To be <laughs> three, three was it three songs on that album or two? I think we, no, two. Yeah, we ended up getting two songs on that uh, that album that he put out in two thousand and fifteen. Do, I mean, do you do you hear your influence in his in his music? Um, I didn't hear it uh, before. No, I didn't hear it before. And um, to be honest, I didn't I didn't even know his music before. I've heard of Skrillex and everything. I heard his name popping mm. about and everything, but I didn't know much about his music. And just this year, uh, James Blake sampled you on on Big Hammer. Which was a big, yes, big tune. How did how did that make you feel? Ah, oh, that made us feel very proud as well because, same as um, same as same as Skrillex, I didn't know much about James Blake, mm. and um, when I give it give the when I've sent the email to my publisher, the publisher's like, "Wow, James Blake," and I'm like, "What do you mean, James Blake?" He's like, "This guy's massive." Yeah, you should do it, you know, because, um, I mean, you should let him, 
you should let him do the sample. He, he sent it. He sampled it and sent it to us to say, you know, he's he sent down the tune and that. And what do we think and that? He said, you guys need to do some work with him. Whatever, whatever you, whatever's happening, to make it happen. You know. So um, yeah. So to be fair, I didn't know much about James Blake, but I, I know a lot about his stuff now because I've done the research and looked at, looked into it. And then a few of uh, fellow artists that I know. That, uh, that that knowy stuff, they was they was like, wow, you guys got a song with James Blake. That's big because apparently um, a lot of American hip hop artists want him to do music for them and R and B artists, and that that's what that's what one of my guys was saying to me. You know, he's he's, he's like followed him uh, through the years. He's worked with Beyonce, I think. So that's you know, not bad. <laughs> so, dude, that's not bad to be that kind of. Yeah. So. So he, what, he approached you directly? It was just like an email? Well, no, well, he, he sampled that, uh, because that, that lyric was on, on, a, on a sample pack as well. So the mm. same like Skrillex, he sampled it, and then he contacted us to say he wants us to be a feature, he wants us to do a feature artist, because with the sample pack, mm. you don't have to be a feature, you, you could just use it. You don't have to do mm. no feature. So he could have just used it. And not, so I respect that they come to us after they've used it and say, you know, we want you to be the feature artist. We want you to get credit, you know? Yeah. I mean, generally, how do you feel about how you're seen in, in 2023? Do you think people appreciate what you, everything you've done? I really do. I really do. I really think, um, you know, the elders, we're like, for some of them, we're like the soundtrack to their life, you know. Um, and then the youngest coming through, they've they've heard about about us from their parents, and then when they come and see us, what their parents have said is exactly what they've seen. So, you know, it's not like um, we're getting older and we're losing we're losing touch or we're losing our energy or or how we perform or, or what we're giving out to the people, what we get back, how we treat people and everything. You know, I, I think we get, I, I do think we get a lot of love and um, we are very much appreciated, yeah. And, and, and I can feel that, we really do feel it. And we just want to do as much as we can for our fans and that, and, and I mean, and you know, just, Give them what we can, man, and because you know we're we're older now. There's we understand that there's artists, younger artists coming through, and you know they're gonna get they're gonna they're gonna have their time for limelight, like how we had our time for limelight. Yeah, and it's just it just keeps going. And but if you can stay in it, and we're like we're like a we're like steady artists now, and we're just like you know we're not looking for a number one. And I don't think we're declining. We're just like steady moving along and putting out music people like it sometimes you get one that goes viral and then you know and then you, you might get a, a, a set that you do or something that goes viral and people love it and that and just keep your name bubbling over man you know what i mean and you know what i mean we're not just you know, we're not we're not begging anybody nothing you know what i mean we're just making our name do the talking still and you mentioned an album coming out next year what can you what can you tell us about that yeah, so we started this album in 2000, and it's a long time now, maybe 10 years ago we started this album. Um, 
a guy named Dean. He's, mm. He works with Sharp and um, he works with ShyFX. He does all ShyFX's uh, engineering and 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 uh, whatever. And he was he was going to put out a, a compilation album with different MCs on it, and he called us to do it do do a track. So we done a track with him, and um, and he was like. You know what? You should come and do another check. So we, we we came back and done another check. Then we started, you know, started getting friendly together, and um, we just ended up going to the studio and just doing tunes. And like he's like, we've got about five six tunes here now. You think we should do an album? I was like, yeah, man, we might as well do an album. We we ain't done a Ragga Twins album like just uh, like our own album. For a long time so we said yeah we do an album so we started working on this album um and then we got it ready by by 2018 we had it all ready to go and then the next year was the the covid thing started coming up so we had to put it back so we went back in revamped it and that and then um the label that we was going to put it out it was his label he was going to put it out then uh, he did. He didn't have enough funds to put it out, so we shopped it. And then um, I don't know if you know Nice Up Records, a guy named Shep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Shep's heard it, and yeah, Shep's picked up on it, and um, yeah, he's done all the process ready for it to be out next year. We've uh, just had the single out in um, in last month. We had the single out. No, August. We had the single out called um too much madness yeah and uh we've got a voltage remix of that coming out on friday and then we should have another single uh, at the end of november with mc fats mm -hmm. on it and then a few remixes and then hopefully the album by the end of february beginning of march Nice. I look forward to it. You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. Cupra. 